This week's edition of A Deeper Dive was brought to you by PDQ. With built-in resources that accurately and easily measure the complexities of labor, PDQ allows you to quickly understand and adjust to workforce cycles and trends. But knowing is only half the equation. A PDQ POS system is expertly designed to measurably reduce direct labor costs as well as indirect costs, such as time and effort. Discover how PDQ can make a meaningful difference in cost containment for your enterprise. Visit pdqpos.com today. What can restaurants do to fix their biggest problem, labor? Hello, I'm Jonathan Mays, executive editor of Restaurant Business Magazine, and in this week's edition of A Deeper Dive, we have Joni Thomas-Doolin, the chairwoman and founder of TDN2K and one of the country's premier experts on the issue of labor inside of restaurants. TDN2K is a leading insights and knowledge provider for the restaurant industry. Based on its workforce index and turnover calculator, the firm believes this is the worst labor shortage the industry has seen in at least decades. And as Joni mentions on this episode of the podcast, it's having a major impact not just on restaurants' bottom lines, but also their top line. Joni discusses how restaurants can succeed in this difficult environment and provides some strategies they can use to build employee loyalty. Hint, it starts at the top. She also discusses strategies for building a good workforce culture. Please have a listen. Okay, I am here with Joni thomas and Joni, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. It's a pleasure. So, um, you know, I uh, obviously do not need to tell you that labor is the primary uh, concern for the restaurant business right now. Um, are, is that still the case in 2019? And then how does this, how does this uh, labor shortage sort of uh, compare to, to previous situations we've seen? So, um, actually, I published a story not too long ago um, about the fact that first quarter 2019, um, we saw turnover rates hit historic highs. And People Report has been tracking um, turnover in the restaurant industry for almost 20 years, so through multiple business cycles including downturns, including the Great Recession, including the slow recovery after the Great Recession, and uh, have never recorded levels of turnover as high as they are in the industry. And it's happening in conjunction with, of course, you know, full employment across the country, uh, but that varies widely by state and by market and by city, but it, it is at a level at this stage where uh, the vacancy rates in restaurants, the vacancy rates in um, combined, they're, you're looking at almost a couple million people a month that were short-staffed. Uh, you know, <coughs> and it has been steady. Those vacancy rates have also, you know, they are historic highs. Um, we publish our workforce index quarterly, and that workforce index is uh, tracks and employment measures that include 
staffing levels, vacancy levels, turnover rates, et cetera. And um, our last quarter workforce index, over almost 80% of um, quick service or fast casual restaurants reported vacancy rates in the back of the house as high as almost 80%. It's a joke, um, and it's not... It, it certainly is not going to change anytime soon, if ever. So do you have any sense? I mean, it seems like if you have the, these sorts of vacancy rates, and, and, and I, I it really seem anecdotally you've heard of, like, you know, at points restaurants have to close because they just don't have enough staff. Um you know, service levels are down. Do you think that you have any any evidence at all that we're seeing some – impact of this on on industry sales that it's that it's that it's sort of hurting particularly you know again these quick service restaurants that that uh, uh seem to be having some of the most significant issues we do um you know obviously we we track the people metrics of the industry but we're also tracking the financial and the consumer metrics attached to them and on a fairly regular basis, we're able to dig into the difference between the companies who have top quartile financial performance and the rest of, you know, the rest of the companies that we track. And there's a very, very clear connection. There's a clear connection to sales. There's a very clear connection to service. And that service and that experience is what's driving the sales. Um, we can see that in our in, in our white box data. So it's definitely correlated. And you know when when you dig into the the other piece of the puzzle, the engagement data, you see that the brands that have more highly engaged employees are also um, stronger in every single service attribute including intent to return, which is, of course, the big one. You know, figuring out, a, I mean, for, for, for a, a, a fast food restaurant to, to try to build some, you know, try to, you know, reduce that, those turnover rates um, while, while still doing so in a manner uh, in which they can make a profit. And, and that's been sort of one of the, one of the bigger challenges for them, uh, you know, because the industry tends to be, very, very concerned about about price. Though we're seeing a lot more evidence that their that prices and premiumization is up in the industry, and and that's, um, you know, and you know, and then customers are coming in less often as a result. So, how do you? I mean, how how does how do how do these operators kind of? What are the best strategies? And this is a broad question. What are the best strategies to sort of reduce those turnover rates? And and for you know, especially for you know, a, 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 an operator whose whose staff tends to be you know on you know on the lower skill. Then what do you do to build build that into to reduce that turnover and 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 build employee loyalty to your company? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, th- that's the puzzle, and. Um, you know, the, the puzzle is at this stage, um, is more problematic than ever because you, when you have these horrific levels of turnover, 
And you also have, you know, a couple other things that are going on is that, you know, the, the turnover for employees is almost 75% voluntary. And the number one reason for it is just job abandonment. I mean, they're just leaving (laughs) or not showing up. And, um, and, and along with that, the length of time, the average tenure of these employees is also dropping. And, you know, over 50% of employees now leave within the first 90 days. So when that happens, <coughs> your manager does not have time to do anything except try to keep the doors open and keep the staff. When what will make a difference, you know, the, the things that w- when we dig into, all right, how do you increase retention? Um, you've got to start with better selection and recruiting, of course, but, you know, focusing on that when anybody who walks in the door is likely to, you know, get employed, um, is difficult. But, you know, the, the other two pieces are, you know, the opportunities for growth and for development, um, not just training, but development. And, um, it is very, very difficult to have the time to focus on that when we have a staffing crisis. So, you know, our research is leading us to Jonathan. I mean, we're really looking at the key metric for any one of these operating brands is the retention of their general managers and the engagement levels of their general managers and, you know, the, the tenure and stability of their general managers, because everything else is going to roll from there. And, you know, what has happened in the last decade, what happened post-recession, because of all the, you know, the exacerbation of all the wage pressures everyone is feeling, you know, the, you know, the pressure on minimum wage, the pressure on leaves, the pressure on, you know, all of the issues around, uh, around employee wages, a lot of businesses restructured to put the money at the employee level and which, you know, was seemed like the best strategy, seemed like preventive maintenance, if you will. Um, But at the same time, general manager compensation has actually remained flat or in some cases even declined in the decade. So you've got these general managers who have jobs that are you know, far more complex, far more difficult, probably working just as many or more hours because um, of everything that we're talking about. And yet what we have invested in that position has not kept up, much less increased. And I think, you know, the, we're paying the piper for it. We're paying the piper for it. And it's like, you know, these conversations are always, I feel as though it's like, well, is there any good news in here? Um, There is a lot of good news because, you know, you have a lot that's rolling up on our doorstep that is creating these 
you know, insane challenges. But at the same time, there are a lot of brands who are figuring it out and doing a better job in these areas. And it becomes a huge competitive advantage for them. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you think of, if you just think off the top of your head, I mean, like, like who are the best performing restaurant chains right now? Um, Chick-fil-A, for instance, um, in and out, uh, you know, those are two, um, you know, historically really, uh, strong performing companies, both of them. I mean, Chick-fil-A has an owner operator model. It's franchisees are in the restaurants. They, you have, you know, to, to the, your point about stability at the top, nothing creates more stability at the top than having a, a, a single owner who is operating a restaurant. They're in there every day. Um, they've been extremely well-trained and they know exactly what to do. And they, by the way, they are far more engaged in that business than a lot of current franchisees in the fast food uh, business, which they tend to operate many different locations and have all sorts of issues. And then you have, uh, you know, and then in and out of course, famously has, they pay higher price at higher wages, uh, automatically they, um, you know, tend to have a, a, a better staff workforce. And then if you, you just go on down the list, we have a number of other examples of, of companies that are both uh, well-performing and, you know, they deliberately pay their employees higher wages. Shake Shack, um, Mod Pizza uh, has an extremely loyal workforce. Does, so does Ant Pizza, which famous, somewhat controversy, controversial, started pushing for higher minimum wages um, in the D.C. area. So, I mean, there are definite examples of companies that are saying, all right, we are going to be more selective of our employees, and then we are going to pay them higher wages. Um, well, and, and, uh, and, and it really does work out for these, for, for these companies when they put those strategies in place. It does. It, it absolutely does. I mean, if you look at the majority of the, the Darden brands, for example, um, and they have brands in every segment, but they have been, um, and they, starting with Gene Lee, the CEO, has clearly stated, we are going to, you know, invest in people because we believe that investing in people is what is going to allow us to be successful financially. And, they keep proving it. You know, so you're right. <clears throat> you have the brands that intentionally, you know, build that into their business model. Um, and we see companies do it across segments. We see companies do it in, um, in, in quick service, in fast casual, in casual dining. Casual dining, you know, is obviously a, a tough marketplace now all for a lot of reasons but you know there are casual dining companies that are successful and and then upscale and you know the one of the myths that uh, people report has dispelled over time is that well it, it's all just relative to your guest check you know if if people are only spending seven dollars in your restaurant then you'll you'll never make this work versus you know, a cheesecake factory or versus a fine dining restaurant. The truth is there's examples in every segment of companies that are doing very well and companies that are, are in trouble. 
It's not the segment. And the other thing I think, you know, you're those, there are a lot of those examples. The other thing that there are progressively more and more examples that we are seeing are the companies who are <coughs> really focused on the fact that they're going to have to win with some kind of purpose or some kind of, you know, community glue, uh, for the workers there or what, what they're, they're figuring out their, their why and making it their how. And, you know, example, the, you know, you gave the mod pizza example. Um, they're heavily invested in formerly incarcerated workers. Um, you know, they're, they're running a social justice system out of pizza places and they're pretty successful at it. So that's a large part. I mean, they have much, much higher tenure of their employees, and that's part of what they do. And, you know, Chick-fil-A is the same. Um, there's, you know, th there's lots of examples of those companies, and I think that is where, you know, that is where companies can say, you know what, maybe we can't pay the highest wage, but we can look at the other things that really matter to our workers and we can we can take care of that. Yeah, um, and 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 Mod, um, I mean Mod in particular has built such a loyalty among its among its employee base. Um, you know, in part by giving a chance to people that you know previously hadn't had one, and they're they're actually finding a very rich source of um, uh, of of employees that way. Um, and it, it would seem to me that w at least one of the things that they're doing is that they're taking a, uh, you know, they're, I mean, they're taking this workforce and they're not really treating them like a low end workforce, which I think s tends to be one of the problems I think that this industry really has is it, from my standpoint, if, if you are going to treat your employees, your low end employees, like low end employees, you're going to get low end employees. And in a scenario like this, you know, that, you know, they can just jump from job to job. There's no disincentive for them to leave uh, because they can go, as you alluded to earlier, uh, earlier in this, they can just go next door and get a job when they want. And so there's no disincentive for them today to, to take that job. And, and to me, it, it's in some fashion is that if you treat them like more like professionals, which is what they really should be in this business, then you're actually going to get that out of them. And it's going to be reflected in your, in your sales. And, and you don't even necessarily have to like, just like explode your pay, though a lot of these companies do pay very well. But it, it's, uh, you know, I mean, it just sort of goes down to how you're treating your, your base level workers. I mean, we've heard it time and again. Right. Well, and, and the companies that are savvy about it, you know, you have, um, you know, you have to look at, I always talk about the fact that when Walmart sneezes, the restaurant industry gets a cold, um, what, and it's, you know, everybody loves to hate Walmart, but the investments that have been made in hourly employees include, uh, the tuition assistance, which is big, um, included getting ahead on the wages um, includes getting ahead on the schedule flexibility. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's really understanding what the needs of your workers are. 
And we did this past year, we actually had more teenagers in the workforce than we've had for a while. That number had been declining and it, it, it went, it didn't go up by a lot there. It still is less than 2 million of our workers, our teenagers. The participation rate has flattened um, and it's not going to go back up, but we're not going to have enough teenagers and the growing cohort age cohort in our workforce will be workers who are 55 and older. So you see the companies, you see the, the Wegmans of the world, for example, who actively work at recruiting the older worker, but then giving them what that older worker wants, which is a schedule that works. Um, and, and they're a best places to work every year. And, and they're recruiting from exactly the same pool as the restaurant industry. Yeah. It's um, McDonald's has, has, has started doing that. They've, they've started working with uh, AARP to, to, to target um, an, an older workforce because you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I mean, the, the industry has, as you mentioned, not entirely lost, but it's, it's really, well, I mean, it's lost a, a large sum of, of, of its workforce, traditionally, you know, teenage employees and, they're gonna have to figure it out. Uh, you're gonna have to find that um, that somewhere else. And and you know, older employees uh, are fantastic. I mean, they're they're experienced. They um, um, almost certainly care. You know, seem you know are, are probably gonna bring a little bit more care to the job and 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 that sort of thing. There are a lot of definite potential benefits for the industry to to target that particular group. Hmm. Well, and then again, I, you know, I'm going to go back, I'm going to be a little bit of a, a dog with a bone on this whole idea of the, the general manager and investing in the general manager, because you, you have a general manager who most likely at this point is in their late thirties, mid forties. Um, but that general manager is responsible for now managing, you know, the four generations. Um, and that is going to require a lot more development. You know, that's not training, that's development. And, uh, so making the investment in those managers pays a lot of dividends. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's going to be, you know, I mean, their their job is going to be difficult, you know, you know, maybe just a little bit more difficult if they do have, you know, you know, varying uh, generations working for them at any particular one time. Um, mm -hmm. Right. Well, and exactly. And they have, you know, they have the bell shaped curve of the workers coming in the door who may or may not put their phone down for their job interview. Um, who don't want to speak to you, um, to perhaps there are baby boomer workers who are going to be very upset if they don't have some type of, you know, relationship with their manager and aren't going to be as necessarily as comfortable with some of the e-learning and a lot of the new technology that we're putting into the restaurants. Right. Um, 
So I, I want to talk a little bit about one of the things that we hear a lot about in the restaurant business, but always seems extremely vague to try to pin down, and that's culture. Because you hear a lot of people talking about, well, our work, you know, our culture, our workplace culture, our company culture, da 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 da. Um, but it doesn't really seem to be uh, something that's entirely easy to grasp or even easy to do. Um, what's what's in, is there any a strategy for an operator that's really looking towards? Like, look, I, I'm, I'm a small operator and I really want to build a strong company culture to build some of this loyalty that that uh, some of these more successful brands talk about. Is there anything that they can actually do to, to, to create the culture that they might want? What do they do? There's lots of things they can do. And again, it starts with knowing their why. You know, it's like, why are we in business? And, and from... And what is it that is important to us that we can, you know, create in our, whether it's one restaurant, we can create our own little community or tribe of people who will get in, engaged with this idea. Um, and we take the time to understand what those workers care about. Um, you know, we, we just can't assume that people are going to care about the same things that the owners might care about. Um, and, you know, in really investing the time to do that. And, you know, the companies that we see that are invested in uh, allowing, first of all, that are allowing their employees to have some type of life outside of work, um, are way ahead of the curve, you know, in the, the, uh, our partnership with Gallup, our restaurant manager connect product, the level of engagement overall for restaurant managers is 35%. And across the U S in all industries, it's 61%. So even compared to other industries, we're, you know, we are much lower and when you start to dig into the reasons for it, um, you get to things like only 11% of those general managers feel like they have enough time to spend with their family and friends. You know, and, and we, you know, it's like, it's the restaurant industry. There's long hours. We're, we're never going to have banking hours, <coughs> nor should we. But I think the point that we miss a lot is that when a general manager says, I, I want some semblance of flexibility or work-life balance, they're not necessarily asking for a 50-hour work week. What they're asking for is when my kid has a baseball game on Monday afternoon at 4 o'clock, I want to know I can be there. You know, that's what they're asking for. I mean, you, you mentioned that. Um, and I mean, we just go back to one of the previous examples and it's Chick-fil-A. Um, you talk to recruiters, I've talked to a couple of recruiters about this and they can't get a manager at Chick-fil-A to leave their job. And because, and, and why can't they do it? Well, they have a guaranteed day off. And it's one of the reasons why I say that, you know, people, there's a lot of people out there who will say things like, well, Chick-fil-A is missing out on a billion dollar opportunity by, uh, being closed on Sunday. And my response to them is always, no, they don't. And it goes a lot beyond just, 
you know, that's, you know, it, it goes a lot beyond, you know, just the, the, the religious culture aspect of it, you know, that they have Sundays off because, you know, because you know, the, of the faith background of the ownership. But, but it really does provide the company a, a, a it, you, they can recruit and, and retain managers and employees a lot better than other restaurant chains because they have that day off built into the system and uh it really and it and it and it really works for them it's it's a uh, you know a, i think a major um uh competitive advantage and that's really playing out these days because their performance has has been uh in, incredible uh because they have that day off and just to just basically to your point um well and you know jonathan it's been a you know for years having operators wrap their heads around how much money is being wasted through turnover or through lack of training or I mean, it's like how much money is lost because it's not necessarily tracked on a PL. <laughs> there are companies that do it, but there aren't a lot. And so you know, the, the argument you just made about, no, they're not throwing away a billion dollars a year. I mean, think about how much money they're making. Um, you know, that's a tough one for people, I think. Yeah, they can't uh, easily wrap their heads around it. Joni, this was absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much for joining uh, us on the podcast. You are quite welcome. Thank you for being interested. For over 32 years, PDQ's all-in-house development team has pushed the boundaries of secure, scalable, enterprise-based point-of-sale systems, regardless of concept or scope. With proven experience in helping a top-20 QSR franchise grow tenfold in a relatively short period of time, PDQ excels in custom fast-cycle solutions, built-in and seamless integrations with top-tier third-party platforms, and holistic data and cybersecurity services. Experience the PDQ difference. Visit pdqpos.com today. That is all for this week's edition of A Deeper Dive, which was edited by Christine Cawthon. Artwork by Nico Hines and Sarah Stewart. Contributors to this podcast include Peter Romeo, Pat Kobe, Sarah Rushworth, and Heather Lally. You can find this and other episodes on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash podcast. You can also find them on iTunes, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Jonathan Mays, your host and podcast producer. Thank you for listening.